0: Good morning, everybody doing okay? Good? So last week I told you guys that they found a, uh, a new copy of the Dead Sea Scrolls that had some new information. <laughs> Has someone just groaned over here? Is that what just happened? <laughs> well, they found some more information in there that's really important. They found proof that um, the serpent in the garden did have appendages, arms and legs, but that eventually Jesus disarmed and defeated the devil, so. <laughs> It just becomes rude if you guys don't laugh a little bit. I mean, it's, uh, no, I'm just joking, no. So we've been working through the Bible. Uh, We've been working through a book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. If you've never been here before, this is all we do. Uh, We go through whole books of the Bible, work through them, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. And um, I I really enjoy teaching like that. I hope you enjoy learning it like that. Kind of teaches us the Bible in its proper context, which is important because today we're going to talk about something that has taken way out of context and hopefully it'll clear up some, some misconceptions about uh, some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit we've been talking about the last couple of weeks as we've been working through this book. Where we're at though is this. This particular book of the Bible was a letter written from Paul to a church in about 54 to 56 AD in Southern Greece. This was a small group of Christians because all the, the groups of Christians, churches at this time were small because Christianity was only about 20 years old. So it was very, very new movement. But in this particular church, they lived in a very prosperous area. They had a lot of freedoms. Most of them were Roman citizens. Um, A lot of freedom. They had access to Paul. He started the church in in Corinth. They had access to the word of God. They had every single advantage that they could have had to follow Jesus the way that they're supposed to follow Jesus. The problem was this, and we're seeing this very much in the United States today that instead of the professing Christians following the truth of the Bible, they were starting to follow the teachings of their culture, right? what was popular in their culture. And because of that, right, a lack of an emphasis on the Bible, more of an emphasis on being accepted, being relevant, whatever kind of language and terminology we wanna use, there are all these problems started to ensue within the Christian community. That's why Paul wrote this letter. It's fascinating, 2,000 years later, we're seeing the exact same thing happen in the United States in Christianity. Now, where we're at, uh, in the last couple of chapters, we've been talking predominantly about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is something that sometimes people get uncomfortable about, but it's in the Bible. And and this is where we go to find our our truth about our faith. And so we have to cover it. And in chapter 12, Paul defines some of the, the, the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 13, he basically goes back and he says, well, listen, the the base of all of these gifts and the basis of our entire faith is rooted in love. And then Paul kind of gives us a working definition of love. And then we ask, you know, are are we doing this? Are we loving people the way the Bible tells us to love people? And now in chapter 14, which we're going to split in half because it's a little long, we're going to do through verse 19. And what we're going to talk about today Paul is gonna talk about predominantly two different gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophecy. If you've never heard of either one of those things, we'll we'll explain a little bit today. Though he's going to be talking about these two different gifts, it's really not so much about the gifts as much as it it is about balance. Are we as Christians, as individuals, balanced? Are we balanced with truth? Are we balanced with the Spirit? We're gonna talk about that later. And then we as a church, are we a group of people who are both digging into our faith and still also reaching out to people who do not know Christ? Balance, right? The more I read the Bible, the more I learn that God wants us to be balanced people. Not too extreme one way or the other, right? But we have a tendency as humans, it's just how we are, to go to these extremes. And there is this kind of sweet, sweet spot in the middle that we're we're to kind of live our spiritual lives. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit today, okay? So, maybe you're in this picture. I don't know what service this was. If you see the back of your head, though, how cool. You're famous, right? So, um, you should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything I'm going to say will be in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes. you got everything right there. If you're old school like me and you like uh, books, um, if you have a physical copy of the Bible, right after the book of Romans, we have 1 Corinthians, okay? And we're just going to do half of chapter 14, and then we'll do the rest of it uh, next week, okay? I think we're splitting up chapter 15, too, because it's long, but um, that's it, okay? I think after that, I haven't told anyone this. You're the first ones to hear this. I think we're gonna do First and Second Peter, I think we're gonna do Esther. That's fun, right? Never done that one before. And I can't remember what we're gonna do after that. More of the Bible. Just don't know <laughs> what part, all right? So let me pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much for everyone in this room, Lord. I'm so happy, God, that we can come into this place, that we can laugh a little bit, that we can worship, that we can talk about your word. I'm glad that people feel comfortable in here, Lord. Uh, we're very blessed to have this place, God, and, and, and to have each other. I pray, Lord, that you just keep your hand on us this morning as we study your word and know more about you and know more about how we're to live, God. I pray that it blesses you and I pray that it it, it blesses us, God. Lord, we pray not just for our church, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities. Lord, we pray for our friends, Becky and Topher, Lord, who do amazing work in Southeast Asia that we're supporting this month. And I pray that you just bless them and give them all the resources they need to, to do what they're doing over in Asia. And uh, Father, we just pray that you're honored today. Lord, we love you, we thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down. and. Um, Hopefully, you'll find this interesting, okay? Verse 14, Paul writes this. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, if you haven't been here, Paul is talking about when they gather together. He's not talking about throughout the week. He's talking about how we conduct ourselves in a worship service just like this. So in chapter 13, he talks about how we are to love, and love is the foundation of everything, right? Paul also tells us, though, to pursue the spiritual gifts. Why? Because that helps us love better. When we pursue the spiritual gifts of God, it helps us love God better, and it helps us love people better. So one of the big points of this chapter is to encourage us, Christians, to seek out the gifts of the Holy Spirit, why? Because we can advance the gospel and because we can bless and build up people around us, right? It's not just about us, it's about doing good things and building up other people. So again, remember, this is in the context of worship services. This is important because I hear a lot of Christians talk about how speaking in tongues no longer exists and it can never be done in these certain circumstances and all this stuff. we often take it way out of context. Here in a minute, Paul is not going to deprecate or put down speaking in tongues, but what he's going to say is in this setting, it's not really appropriate. And I'll get to that in more detail here in a second. He is talking about the context of a worship environment. Now again, when it comes to what we're doing right now, all spiritual gifts are not equal. Paul says, if it's between speaking in tongues or prophesying, which I'll get to here in a second, in this setting, he says, I'd rather you prophesy. Because speaking in tongues is a personal gift. It's this interaction between the individual and God, and no one understands what's happening except for God. On the other side of that, though, the gift of prophecy is for this kind of a setting, Now, if you've never heard of the gift of prophecy, in this context, it would be similar to what I'm doing right now. It would be someone teaching. It would be someone giving a word of knowledge about God. It would be an educational thing for the most part. And so speaking in tongues is more personal. Prophecy is for church services because it betters everyone around you. They are learning something. They're growing closer to God. You're contributing to other people. So Paul says, pursue the gift of prophecy because it's practical, right? In a worship setting, people come here not just to worship, but to learn. And so it is a very practical thing to do, to use this gift. It strengthens people, it encourages people, it gives people consolation or comfort, right? This is what this gift does. And quite frankly, this is why we come to church, right? To worship corporately and to learn more about God. Now, this is where we have to find some balance in this. Paul is not deprecating, he's not downing the gift of speaking in tongues. He even says, I wish all of you guys did this, but I wish more in worship services that you prophesied. Because tongues without the gift of interpretation, talk about this more here in a minute, are meant again for for kind of personal settings. But in the context of church, and Paul's gonna say this, if someone just got up here and, spoke in tongues for 45 minutes in front of you, you would all leave here going, I don't know what happened, right? It didn't make any sense to me. Only God can understand that and that doesn't really do any good for you. So here's the thing. We are to not neglect any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're not to neglect wisdom, knowledge, courageous faith, miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discernment, prophecy, none of those things. We are open vessels for however God wants to use us, but the Bible tells us there is appropriate times and appropriate places to do certain things. And this is what Paul is talking about. But again, the ultimate goal of all of this is love. And so all of the gifts of the Spirit are given to us to better love God, better love people. So Paul is taking a group of very, very immature believers. And I'm not saying that to make fun of the people in Corinth. They were new Christians. And he was trying to teach these Christians, this is very important, that coming to church is not just about you feeling good and getting poured into. It's not just consumption church is also about contribution. It's also about contributing and building up the people around you. So in our spiritual infancy, which some of you in this room, you may be spiritual infants. And and the way I define that is for the first three years of your Christianity, you should just be eating, right? You should just be consuming. You're not really equipped yet to give back. But There must come a time when it is not just about our consumption, it is about our contribution as well. It is about us giving back to the community as well, okay? All right, let's keep going. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether a flute or a harp, If they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who prepares for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you'll be speaking into the air." There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So again, this is very practical, right? I know... Talking about speaking in tongues and practicality seems odd, right? But Paul basically says, if I roll into town, he wasn't in town, that's why he wrote him a letter, but he says, if I roll into town, I get up on a platform in front of the whole church and I speak in tongues the whole time, he says, what benefit does that bring you? He's basically saying, unless I speak to you in in words you can understand through knowledge or revelation or through prophecy or for teaching, he goes, "Uh, you're not gonna learn anything. So simply put, we have to speak in a way where anyone can understand what we're saying. And this is not just talking about speaking in tongues. This goes beyond that. See, what we've done in Christianity in the United States, not just in the United States, but I pick on it because this is where we live, right? We have kind of created our own kind of Christian bubble a lot in the United States. And we even speak in a language that outsiders don't understand. I call it Christianese, right? We speak in this kind of language, like people walk into a church for the first time, they're curious, they're looking for God, but they've never been in here before. And someone gets up on the stage and says, oh, welcome saints, isn't it great to be sanctified and justified by the blood of the lamb? And a newcomer's like, I don't know what that means, right? What the heck does that mean? Most Christians are even kind of like, this guy read a lot of Shakespeare or what? What's going on? So we don't understand what's happening. That's why we just have to learn to talk to people like they're people. You can still share the gospel and share the things of God and speak to them on a a level that is normal. But what has happened is, is we kind of isolate ourselves from the world. And I'm not trying to make fun of you, but one of our big problems in Christian culture right now is we kind of sequester ourselves to where we only listen to Christian music, we only watch Christian movies, we only talk to people who vote like us and have the same beliefs as us. And then the problem is is that when we go out into a real world, we don't know how to communicate with normal people, right? We walk into Starbucks, if you dare, right? And we go, hey, you know, hey, buddy, have you seen God's Not Dead 7? And they're like, no, right? They haven't made that yet, I don't think, but give it time. It's coming. shouldn't have said that. I said it at all four services, and each time I'm like, that's not nice. Anyways, but what we do is, is we kind of isolate ourselves so, so far from the world, and we wonder why no one wants to hang out with us. It's because we seem like we're from another planet. But, and I'm not trying to sell you on my second book, but the whole point of the second book was how we hold on to the Bible while still connecting with other people. And I hate to tell you this, but if you're going to connect with other people in a secular real world, you're going to have to know some things about the secular real world. I can't tell you, how, thank you. I can't tell you how many people that I have eventually got to church and baptized because our conversation started off about David Bowie or The Cure or Twin Peaks. I will just tell you one of my favorite TV shows, right? Clarify it's the TV show, not the restaurant. Just want to clarify that. I like the TV show, never been to the restaurant. Don't go that direction when trying to minister to the world, right? (laughs) But I can't tell you how many times that I have started off a conversation about something secular, and it eventually leads to my faith. Now, I know some people sit back and go, how dare he? Well, just like Paul went to Athens, Greece, he's talking to a bunch of pagans and people who worshiped false gods, and he said, hey, like your poets would say, God did this. What he was doing was relating to them on their level. He was relating to them by using their arts to connect. We have to be able, if we're going to expect people to have an encounter with Jesus, we have to learn to talk with people somehow on their level, right? So here's the thing. We are not called to isolate ourselves from the world. You will not find anything in this book. And I know people will say things like, well, we're supposed to be a peculiar people. people. That means our morals and how we act and believe. That doesn't mean that we can avoid the real world. We're not called to isolate from the real world. This is why Jesus said, I'm gonna send you out like sheep among wolves. I'm gonna send you out there. Jesus didn't raise up the disciples and go, hey guys, just stay in Jerusalem. They all think like you here. It'll be safer. No, no. He said, go out, go out and be grossly outnumbered by people that don't think like you and bring the light out into that darkness. We are not called to isolate. We are called to be insulated by the Holy Spirit so we can go out into this world and penetrate the darkness. We also have to teach the Bible. I know that sounds like a crazy idea in church, but very few churches do it anymore. And this is the reason why we have church after church after church where big moral failure happens or it starts to all fall apart because it's all about being relevant and having good worship. And there's no doctrine or theology behind it. And that's a problem. If churches don't teach the Bible with intelligible speech, Paul says, we're gonna go out into the real world and we're gonna be ill-equipped. We're not gonna be able to handle it. That's why all around the United States, you have people that claim to be Christians and they do not know the first thing about biblical theology, nothing, because their church never taught it to them. And because the church in America has focused more on emotion and relevance and approval more than they have the word of God, again, we wonder why all of our kids are falling away because parents never taught their kids the word of God. We wonder why so many college students fall away because the church has not discipled them because people have not poured into them. And they're not ready for the battle that they're going to inevitably face. And so Paul says, look, I'm glad you're zealous for for the spiritual gifts. That's awesome. I'm glad that you're zealous about that, right? You should be zealous about the spiritual gifts. But he also says, also be zealous about pouring into other people, building up other people. So again, the goal is not for us just to consume and love God. The goal is for us also to reach out and love other people. And that's why we have the spiritual gifts, to be weapons, to be tools, to help us to do that better, right? To get into a deeper relationship with others, to a deeper relationship with God. Now, this last part is all about balance. It is all about this, how we worship God with our our head, and we also worship God with our heart, both. Okay, that's what he's about to talk about. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit. I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in another tongue. So if you haven't been here, when, it, when, when the Bible talks about the gift of speaking in tongues, there, there are three kind of variations of that. There is Acts chapter two. This is when God miraculously gives people the ability to speak an earthly language that they shouldn't know. Um, in real-world terms, let's say you went on a mission trip to El Salvador, you're in the middle of, of someplace really remote, a, spanish person, a Spanish-speaking person, spanish person comes up to you, God miraculously gives you the ability to speak Spanish and to, to understand Spanish for the sake of, of advancing the gospel. That's number one. The second one is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul calls it the tongues of angels. You may have heard this called a a prayer language or this very personal thing. Paul talks about it a lot in this chapter where we don't even know what we're saying, but we are speaking to God, right? But he understands. This is kind of the second kind of speaking in tongues. The third one is similar, but it's done in a corporate setting like what we're doing right now. And that if someone were to speak in tongues where you could hear it right loud, where the whole church could hear it, someone else stands up and is given the gift of interpreting that. Now, the reason why that's a really interesting gift for a lot of reasons is it bridges the miraculous and the practical. Two people are miraculously given this gift, but it's for a practical reason, to encourage the church or instruct the church or teach the church, right? So this particular gift kind of bridges these two worlds, if you will. So Paul's talking about these two things, right? He's talking about uh, about order in worship services. He's talking about how do we use these different gifts And he goes, well, what now? So Paul says through the Spirit, um, when he prays in, in the Spirit and speaking in tongues, Paul says, my understanding is unfruitful. I'm not getting smarter when I do that. I'm not learning anything when I do that. That's not him saying that that gift is useless or that it's gone away. What he's saying there is there are times when he doesn't have the words. There are times when he's maybe desperate or, or doesn't know how to handle a certain problem and the spirit has to work through him. This is what Romans 8:26 says. Paul wrote this as well. The spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray. I'm gonna tell you a story real quick. And I have never told this story until last night in the church. Um, just to, just to kind of highlight what we're talking about here. Uh, I used to not tell people this, but since we've been doing 1 Corinthians for a while, I've been more open about it. Um, right when I became a Christian, I was given the gift of speaking in tongues. It's something that I still do, and it's uh, something that I, I, I don't idolize, but it's, it's a gift God has given me, and I don't think everyone has to have it, um, but it's been a blessing in my life. Now, in this regard, uh, one time, several years back, there was a, a I think he was a, a senior in high school, He and his mother uh, and his sister came to church here. sister's a little bit older. And um, this kid was doing some dumb stuff one night, had a gun, and accidentally shot himself in the face. I get the call, right, that he was in Vanderbilt at the ICU. So I went out there as quick as I could to Vanderbilt, went up on the ICU floor. His mother was in there waiting, and it was just his mom and a nurse in the room. This kid was in a coma, right, because he'd shot himself right through the eye, actually and uh, his mom is at the foot of the bed exactly how you'd expect, a mess, a complete mess, right? Laying on the bed, crying, weeping. I had to almost pick her up and just and, and like layer on me almost. And I'm praying for her, and I'm just trying to comfort her and, and be there for her, and she's just, just a mess. I finally kind of set her down. I go over to the nurse, and I say, shoot me straight, what, what, what are we looking at here? And um, he was comatose at the time, and she said, it does not, it does not look very good. And then I said, if I pray for him, can he hear me? And she pointed me to some meter that was on the bed, and I'm not a doctor or a nurse, so forgive me if I, you know, I don't have a name for it or anything. There was this thing that was monitoring how much blood flow was going back and forth through, uh, through his brain. And when I asked, could he hear me? The nurse said, if this number is over 100, he can hear you. He's completely aware of what you're saying. He's just not gonna respond, right? But he, he can hear you. When I looked up at that thing, it was at about 15. So he was, he was completely comatose. He could not hear anything I was saying. I didn't know what to do, right? I didn't have any words. I, was, I felt completely weak. I felt completely powerless. Didn't know what to do. So I didn't care who heard me or what was going on. This kid was on his deathbed. I got into this kid's ear, put one hand on his chest, one on his head, and I just started to pray in tongues in this kid's ear. As I was doing this, and I'm not trying to tell you stories to puff me up or anything else. I'm just trying to tell you a story that relates to this. As I was doing this, the nurse almost stumbled back upon herself, and I kind of glanced up, and I looked up at that meter, and it was at about 125. and he was hearing everything I was saying. And so, because I knew that he could hear what I was saying, I stopped and I said, "'Listen, I know that you've been doing some dumb stuff, "'and you haven't been living for Jesus. I'm in his ear.' And I said, I know you can't respond right now, but even if it's just in your mind, you need to get right with God right now. And I prayed that for him and I prayed with him and I just said, amen. And right when I said, amen, that number dropped down to about 15 again, we were done. And he died about two hours later. I think in that moment, I think in that moment, this kid who was about 17 years old, I think God opened up his ears and his mind. I think in his heart, he was able to ask for God's forgiveness and I I pray that he he is in heaven right now. The only reason I told you that story was there are times when you're just not going to know what to do, and God just has to step in. And God, there was another time with a young lady who had overdosed on heroin right before, I think it was Christmas Eve, and I had to go to St. Thomas, and I had to literally pick another mom up off the floor and put her in a chair because her daughter had overdosed on heroin and was about to die. Very, very similar situation. This is what Paul is referring to. So verse 15 tells us what Paul does is he says, well, what do we do with all this? He says, well, I'm gonna pray in the spirit. I'm gonna sing in the spirit, but I'm also going to pray and I'm gonna sing with my understanding. What he means is this. Not everyone has to have the gift of speaking in tongues. Not everyone's intended to have, to give, to have the gift of speaking in tongues. What Paul is saying is though, is we worship God with our emotions, our feelings, right? We also worship God with our brain, with our intellect. So there are times when all you may know to say is Jesus and cry and and you may be desperate. There are other times when you're completely in your right mind, you need to break open the Word of God and you need to feed your brain with the Word of God. We worship the Lord both in spirit and we worship the Lord in truth, in our minds. So that's what we're called to do. And if we lean too much one way or the other, we're imbalanced. Some of you in this room came from churches that do not believe in anything supernatural. It is all about doctrine and theology, and that eventually turns into legalism, and it comes to, turns into dogma, and it becomes stiff, and no one ever comes to church because it's boring and all this stuff, right? That's one extreme. Some of you came from that. The other extreme, right, are the ones that haven't touched the Bible in years, but they get slain in the spirit and bust their nose and crack their skull on the church floor, which I don't think is God's intention either, right? And it's all about feeling. And both of those extremes are incorrect. What we are to do is come to the middle of those two things, in spirit and in truth, to find that balance in our walk with God. So churches often have good intentions. Not all of them, but I'd say most have good intentions. But what tends to happen is we become inwardly focused. And that's really what Paul is talking about in this chapter, is if everyone's just speaking in tongues all the time, outsiders come in and they're like, looks a little crazy to me, right? And they leave. Or if we become so just focused on the truth that we're not loving, and if we're not depending on the spirit, we're not welcoming in that regard either. And it excludes people from hearing and experiencing the truth, the gospel. So the problem is, again, it sounds so simple, but no one, but, but very few people do it. We're just supposed to follow what the Bible teaches. And when the Bible teaches us and talks about overtly spiritual things, we do those things. When the Bible talks about very practical things, we do these things. It is this balance by following the word of God that we advance the gospel the way we should. And so again, Paul is talking about worship services. And he goes, guys, if I had to choose between speaking in tongues or prophecy, when it comes to church, Paul says, I would choose prophecy because it's not just about me. It's about us sharing the gospel with other people. I got a kick out of uh, one of the commentaries I was using to study for this week. It's a very, very conservative, and I'm not trying to make fun of the Baptist church, but very, very conservative Baptist commentary that was written a couple of decades ago. And this commentator says there is no proof in the Bible that Paul even believed that speaking in tongues was possible. (laughs) Paul says, I thank God that I spoke in tongues more than all of you. You know, let me give you a good piece of advice. Let the Bible speak for the Bible, right? Not a denominational slant, not how people feel. Let the Bible interpret the Bible, okay? And that's what Paul does here. But what he says is, in the context of a church setting, if I had to choose between the two gifts, I would rather tell a new person the gospel in a language they can understand than me just getting all the feels, right? Speaking in tongues. It's about others more than it's about me. That's what Paul was saying. Because listen, what we're doing right now is to build us up. If you're in here and you are, you are a, not a believer, right? You're an agnostic or you're an atheist, but you're looking for the truth. Hopefully you've learned something today, right? Hopefully you've been built up and encouraged a little bit today. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, hopefully you have learned something and been encouraged today. That's why we come together and do this, to worship together, to read the word of God, to be built up. But listen, listen. This is not enough for you. And, and I, I know people mean well when they say this, but they're like, man, I gotta get filled up for the week. If this is the only time you get filled up, there's a problem because this guy gets depleted about one o'clock on Monday, right? So like, I need to go back to God over and over again throughout the week. So this is good, we need this. You also have to be connecting with God in your private time right? Seven days a week, we need to be connecting with God, not just on the weekends. It's a balance, 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 balance. So as you and I mature as followers of Jesus, as Christians, the Bible tells us to seek out the gifts of the Spirit, right? To to just be open vessels. God, use me however you want to use me. And then as we're seeking out the spiritual things, we should be also producing the fruit of the Spirit, If you've never heard of that before, that's in the book of Galatians chapter five. You can go back and read about the fruit of the spirit. So as we build a relationship with Jesus, as we read the word of God, we're gonna be more comfortable with this. Just, this is a bad analogy. It's like when you date a girl, right? The first time you like start start going out with the girl, you're awkward and you're shy and you're weird and you don't wanna eat in front of them, right? Or like, you know, it's just weird. But over time, the more time you spend with that girl, more comfortable you get the more your guard is let down. It's the same way with Christ. At first, it's kind of awkward and weird when we talk about overtly spiritual things and gifts of the Spirit and all this kind of stuff. But the more we read about God, the more time we spend with God. It's not that weird, right? We become comfortable with that. And that's okay. That's just part of maturing. It's part of growing in our faith. Listen, we must also make sure that that, that people who come into church are being discipled. Jesus didn't tell us to build big churches. I have nothing against big, this is a big church. I have nothing against that. But, but what we are to do with all these people coming in is to make disciples, which means we have to teach them the word of God. We have to equip them to live lives that honor God and to live lives that are loving. We have to make disciples. Not only do we have to make disciples, those of us in here, we need to keep growing in our relationship with God. This also has to be a place where absolutely anyone can walk through these doors and hear the truth. Doesn't mean we have to agree with how they live. Doesn't mean that it's not even going to be uncomfortable at times. But if we ever become a church that, that, that doesn't want that kind of a person sitting by us, we're doing something grossly wrong. Grossly wrong. So anyone should be able to come into these doors, anybody, and at least have access to the truth and be able to respond to it. What I am saying here is this. You and I must be digging in. We must be getting filled up. We must be getting poured into, right? But that's not enough. We must also be constantly reaching out. Getting filled and constantly reaching out. So let's talk about you and I, individuals, because people often talk about church culture. Well, the church is made up of individuals. That's us. So on a personal level, And this may be the most important thing I talk about today. Are we firmly holding on to our biblical integrity? Are we holding on to this? And are we building relationships with non-believers? It's not one or the other. It's both. And again, the problem in North American church right now is churches have, have gone so far one way, man, we just want to get to know people. And instead of playing worship songs, they're like, you know, playing U2 songs, which I I like U2, nothing against them, right? But instead of playing worship songs, they're playing secular songs and they don't teach the Bible very much and they're compromising their faith in order to get people in the building. They go too far. We can't can't do that. We have to hold on to the word of God, our biblical integrity, and still be building relationships with, with even the most fringe people. We have to be connected to them. So here's my question for you. What is your personal culture? What I mean is, what is the culture of of Corey? When I go to a coffee shop or when I go, you know, wherever I go to the grocery store, do people feel like they can talk to me? Do people feel like they can share with me their problems or what's going on in their personal life, even though they understand that I hold on to this book, right? Right? Well, just go there for a second. If you buy my second book, there's all kinds of stories in it. I became friends with the curator of the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts. I have multiple gay friends who are married to to same-sex people, right? And all these people know exactly where I stand. I can hold on to this and not compromise what I believe and still get to know and love people who I disagree with. It is possible. And this, I feel like, is what the Bible tells us to do. It's the woman at the well, right? It's this story all over again. So here's why I'm telling you this. You do not have anything to be afraid of in the world. sick of Christians being afraid. If you are full of the Holy Spirit of God, you don't have to be isolated from the world. You just need to be insulated with the Spirit. You don't have to be afraid. I'm not trying to pick on you or make fun of you. You don't have to be afraid of of public school. You don't have to be afraid of the government. You don't have to be afraid of television. You don't have to be afraid. And I'm not telling you not to be wise. And I'm not telling you to let your kids look at whatever they wanna look at all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is a real world out there and there is no way to get around it. Not only is there no way to get around it, Jesus himself said, go engage it. Go engage that world. It's the only way that people are gonna come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we don't need to be afraid, right? We just need to be insulated by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says, wise is a serpent, harmless is a dove. It's not that beautiful? That's how we are to live our lives, right? To be out in it, but not of it. To be so full of the light that the darkness doesn't penetrate us. That's how we're to live but it takes balance. So, so many Christians, they're, they're comfortable talking about God the Father. They're comfortable talking about Jesus the Son. You bring up the Holy Spirit and people start to like sweat and squirm, don't they? Uh, oh, not that side of God. But if we're going to experience God the way he intends, we have to worship him both with our intellect, right? Truth. And we are to worship him in our spirit, our emotions, our heart. It is a, it is a combination of these two things. What this means in practical terms is this. Worship is great, guys. We have the best worship team. We have fantastic worship at this church. This city, I'll I'll brag on them for a second. This city every year shuts down the entire city center for our worship team. Five, 6,000 people worshiping in the square. MTSU lets us use our place. We've shut down the Cannon County Square. We've shut down the Bedford County Square. Have all these people. Listen, that's fantastic. It's awesome. I love seeing all of you there. I get a little frustrated as a pastor when we have a prayer night and 500 people show up. We need worship. Boy, we need to be praying too. More than ever do we need prayer. See, worship is easy. Right? Worship is the door. It's the invitation. It feels good. Man, prayer is a battle. But we need both. I will commend you. This is a church that loves the Word of God. I was told one time when this church was about 300 people, it's about 5,500 right now, I was told by, by a guy that this church would never grow if I taught the Word the way I teach it, which offended me, not for myself, but offended me because he didn't believe in the Bible that much. That Bible, though, that, that word is what draws so many people. It draws, people are hungry for that. So listen, it's not just worship. It has to be truth as well. It has to be prayer. It has to be the word of God. This is the only way that we will stay balanced. Here's the other thing. There is a grace period that when you come into to, to the family of Christianity, there is a time just like a baby, right? Where all you can do is consume. That's all you're supposed to do. It's just consume. You gotta be fed. You're not in a position yet to do anything else. If you're in this room and you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about with, with babies, right? All they do is consume. They, they do not contribute anything back. It is constant consumption, right? Even into their teens, they do this sometimes. But anyways, so it is just constant consumption. But there has to come a time where we, as, as followers of Christ, grow up out of that infancy stage and we start giving back. We start contributing. We're not just disciples. We are disciple makers. And we have to be adults, spiritual adults. Okay. So three questions. Let me ask you three honest questions and we're done. The first one is this. Would you and I say we are seeking the spiritual gifts and completely vulnerable for however God wants to use us? Again, the only, the only gift of the Spirit that I can think of is in the book of James. It says that all of us should be seeking wisdom because God always gives us wisdom. Besides that, what I see from the Bible is we're just supposed to be open. However God wants to use us at whatever time. Are we are we brave enough to just be open? I'm gonna tell you, if you find yourself postured like that, I give you my word, God will ask you to do something uncomfortable. If you posture yourself to say, God, I'll be used however you want, he'll say, oh, okay, Good. Talk to that person at work tomorrow. Uh, but what if they think I'm weird? You know what our problem is? Most times, and I'm talking about me, I'm guilty of this too. We're more concerned about what people think about us than we are about pursuing the spiritual things of God. We care about our reputation. But God, what if they don't like me? Right? Christ is like, I was nailed to a cross. We are just to be open to it. And I'm gonna tell you, man, the first time the first time you hear God say, go talk to that lady or go talk to that guy and you go over there and say, hey, I'm gonna sound weird, can I just pray for you? I just felt like God wanted me to pray for you. The first time you go do that and that person goes, you wouldn't believe how bad things have been. And then this, this rapport with God starts to get built up. And you're like, oh, I'm starting to be able to hear God. When I'm obedient to God, he speaks to me more and I got to be a blessing to this person, right? Are we being vulnerable and open like that? Again, maybe the most important thing we talk about today, are we holding on to our biblical integrity while doing everything we can to build bridges with non-believers? Again, of course you you have to use wisdom in this, but I can tell you story after story after story about how it started with an old punk band from the 70s and it ended with me talking about my faith. I can tell you all kinds of stories like that. You have to be able to connect with people on their level, not just music and movies, like you can talk about different food, or let me give you a really great way to start off conversation. Whenever you meet someone in Middle Tennessee, hey, where are you from originally? Because no one's from here, right? Where are you from originally? Oh, St. Louis, really, me too. What part of St. Louis? "Uh, North County, me too, born in St. Charles, isn't that cool? And now you have this relationship, right? And eventually it's going to get to Jesus Christ. It will naturally gravitate that way. Make sure you're holding on to your integrity. Can't sacrifice that. And make sure that you're reaching out to others. And then very simply put, this is it. If you and I are being honest, it's not just enough to worship. It's not just enough to to only pray or to only read the word of God. We must be doing all of these things. And I'm going to ask you, Honestly, if you're being honest, not only do you have a worship life, do you have a prayer life? Do you, have, do you have a time where you set aside time throughout the week and read the word of God? Are you making this a priority? And I'm going to tell you, man, I'm such a, a, a I believe in this book so much. In a, in a culture right now to where it is almost impossible to know if you're being told the truth. This is the truth. And we need to have more and more of this in our minds and in our hearts because there are so many lies out there, so many lies, and we need an anchor. We need something to be tethered to. How many churches that only focus on the emotion have to fall and be you know, made an example of before we get back to good theology, good doctrine, truth, right? You need this, you need this. Prayer, worship, the Word. It's the only way that we'll be balanced, mature believers. Okay. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Man, I love you guys so much. I love this church. I know some of this stuff we talked about today may be a little out of uh, your comfort zone or your wheelhouse, and that's fine. That's fine. If that is the case, I just, in ch- I just challenge you to, to not only pray about it, just, just read the Bible. The Bible will tell you what is right and wrong. If you're in this room and maybe you are not a believer, maybe you're atheist, you're agnostic, but you're looking, or if you're a new believer, but you just got some questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Emily is up here. She does all of our assimilations and hospitality and everything else. She's right up here on my right, your left. If you have any questions for her, she'd love to talk with you. If you have any prayer requests, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, job situation, family, health, uh, maybe if you're stressed or physically sick, anything, please let one of these men or women pray with you, okay? The last thing is there is communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table all the way around this room, there is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. If you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take communion and just remember, meditate, think, pray, about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, okay? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I don't know why I feel led to tell this service again, you have nothing to be afraid of out there. Man, as long as you are walking with God, and I know the world is crazy, and listen, I'm a dad of two girls. You know, I'm 20 years away from retiring. I have a 401k that I look at and see how it's going the wrong direction, right? I understand how anxiety can slip in. I understand how fear can slip in. But I'm gonna tell you, man, if the Holy Spirit is with you, if you're full of God's spirit, you got nothing to be afraid of out there. Even if they take your head, they can't take your heart. They can't take your salvation. They can't take your faith. You got nothing to be afraid of. Father, Lord, I love you. God, I thank you so much for this church, Lord. I thank you, God, for everyone in this room. Lord, protect everyone. Protect them, protect their family, protect their children, God. Lord, protect their minds, protect their hearts, God. Lord, we love you. I pray that in this dark world, we can be the light, that we can shine brightly, God, not for our glory, Lord, but for your glory, so people can be saved and changed and fulfilled, God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Keep your hand on us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. I hope you enjoy your Sunday. Thank you.